John chapter 4, verse 23. That's where we're heading today. Again, hitting this idea of true worshipers. He said, Yet the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father, today I pray would you allow our hearts and our ears to connect tonight, today, as we hear your message, and God, that you would move in this place and touch our hearts. Be with us, God, we pray today, in Jesus' name, amen. He says that there's a time when the true worshipers will, will worship God in, in spirit and in truth, and by definition, if there is an idea that something is a true worshiper, then there must be the opposite side of that true, and there must be false worshipers. I find it interesting to say in, in this passage that Jesus says this, true worshipers are the people that God seeks out. God seeks out true worshipers. Worship is just simply this. It's showing value to something. Showing worth Ship. Did you catch what we did there? Worship. Can I tell you, we do a good job of worship. The world does a good job at worship because we all worship something. We all worship something. I've got some pictures I like to show of, of some worship thought processes. We worship at a concert. right? Encore, we want more. How many of you have ever said that? Right? We worship at a concert. We worship at a sporting event. Uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. I'm going to get in trouble here. If you've ever been to a sporting event, you know that there's some worship going on. People are getting excited about their team. They're getting excited about the game. I, this is from an Ohio State game, as you can tell. The, I've seen you all, the old O-H-I-O thing. I've seen you all, a bunch of crazy people. I, I'm going to probably lose a few folks here when I, when I make this statement. I, I'm not a super pumped-up Buckeye fan. I know, I know. I'm from Indiana, and, uh, you know, in Indiana, we didn't have college football. We still don't. We couldn't figure out how to dribble those oblong balls. And so we, we just never did that. I moved to Columbus in 2000, the year 2000. And when I moved to Columbus, all of a sudden I noticed this Buckeye madness thing that happened. It took, kind of took precedence. So it's not that I root against Ohio State. I, I just don't dress up in garb and and paint my face and, and all of that stuff for Ohio State. But there are a lot of people that do. We worship different things, what we value. There's people that worship at the, the table at stock markets because they value where their money's going and the thought process of, of man, have you ever been to 
to the stock market and seen the, the productivity and the added, just the yelling and screaming and all that stuff going on and the cheering. We worship at that. There's all kinds of things that we do. Sometimes we will worship relationships. Sometimes we will worship the, the person that, that even, and, and here I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, even your spouse, even your boyfriend, your girlfriend, even that person in your life, we will come to the place where we worship them because we're adding value to them and worship reveals priority. Worship reveals priority. And as I said, we as a people were created to worship, and so we all do worship. The problem is, is oftentimes we do a good job of worshiping a bad God. Little g. We do a good job of worshiping a bad God with a little g. And we typically, the problem in the church world today is we have come to the place where we do a bad worship for a good God, capital G. We can be so enamored and so excited about scoring a touchdown and we can yell and scream and hoot and holler and believe me, I'm right there with you. But when it comes to the idea of the God who saved your soul, the one who died on the cross for your sin, the one who gave his very life so that you could have life, we want to sit on our hands or we want to give him a golf clap. We've come to the place where worship isn't really true worship. Because how, and we're going to talk about all, a couple different aspects of this. We're going to delve into this this morning. But when you come to a worship setting like this, when you come into the house of the Lord like this and we come together, there's some questions that I usually like to ask myself. There's some things that I, I like to come in, into my mind as, as I'm as I'm leaving this place, and, and I'm going to share them with you today. The first one is this. Did you experience the presence of God during our worship time? Did I feel the presence of God in our worship time? We don't take that for granted, folks. We pray for that for you. Every day, the staff, every time we meet together on Thursday mornings, on Sunday mornings, when we come together as board members and, and the staff, as we come together as people, we are praying for the presence and the power of God to come and to touch your life and give you opportunity to hear from the Word of God and to hear God speak and be ignited into your life. So the question to ask is, when you come, did you experience the presence of God during your worship time? Part of that is this, did you worship Him for who He is? For who He is. He's the God that loves you. Did you thank Him for what He has done? Or did you just show up and watch the band sing and play some songs? Worship has this amazing thing too. It's, it, it, it prepares the heart so that you can hear the message of the Word of God. And, and if you're omitting that time of worship, if, if your experience uh, and that experience with God and, and you're missing a valuable thing then, that will only enhance your life and your relationship with the Lord. Jesus talks about in, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, he says that people will honor me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. He goes on to say this, their worship is a farce. Their worship is a farce. Psalm 100, verse, uh, that whole entire chapter says this, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Somebody say amen. amen. We are to have a time where we set aside in our... We do that every Sunday of worship. But if worship is only limited in your life to a window of time on a Sunday morning, you are missing the boat. Because worship is meant to be a lifestyle of praise before the God. Can I just tell you the reason why you exist? You're going to find that out today. This is why you exist. So many people say, oh man, I wish I knew my purpose in life. I wish I knew what I was here for. Can I tell you there is one singular thing that you are here for? Are you ready? It is to worship God. You were created for worship. One single purpose, one single reason. You were created to give God praise. You do that through song. You do that through excitement. You do that through your job. You do that through your studies. You do that through every part of your life, your marriage. Everything that you have, everything that you are is a form of worship to God. And you were created with the single purpose. And that purpose is to worship. We're going to talk about what it means to be a true worshiper this morning because there is nothing more important. There is no other thing that you can do that's more important than this. I want to give you three evidences of true worshipers. Three evidences of true worshipers. The first one is this. They worship with awe. They worship with awe. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Did you realize that you're part of a kingdom that can't be shaken? We, I, I, noted, I didn't notice it the first service, but I picked up on it the second one. We sang a song, God is fighting for us, turning back the darkness, lighting up a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do we know what that means? Do, do you get that? It's that as a child of God, there is nothing that you face. There is nothing that you go through. There is nothing that happens to you that will shake you to the point where you give up on worship. Why? Because your foundation is not on the things of the world. The foundation is sure. There's a, a and, and you may say, man, I, I go through a lot of stuff. Why is that happening? And can I just say this? You are a part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. And one day it's going to be worth it all. There was an evangelist that uh, came to our youth camp 
I was a, a youth pastor in Indiana. I was in Indiana as a youth pastor. I was working with youth in Indiana. And I remember this. This happened. I was in college, and I remember that he said this. He said, guess what? If they beat me, God can heal me. If they kill me, I'll be with God. I'm like, oh, wow. Dude, that's profound. If they beat me, God will heal me. If they kill me, I'll be with God. What would happen if we took that approach to life? I'm not going to get into the eyewitness part of it. We're going to get to that in a couple weeks, but there's a mindset there. He goes on to say this. He says, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You know, I, I think about that word awe and that word really means nothing to us today. We've kind of suppressed that word. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you, hey, man, what'd you think of those tacos? They were awesome. Now, were they really that good? <laughs> hey, what, what about that, that Buckeye game? What about that movie? Man, oh, it was awesome. Really? I've never seen that thought process. And I've used that word before. And as I'm studying for this message, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. We are, we've got a, a thing in our society of calling things all with all and awesome that really aren't awesome. Because there is only one thing that's awesome, and that's the God that we serve. There's only one thing that we should approach with, with this idea of being awesome, and that's God. You know, the Greek word here in this passage is phobos. We get our word phobia from it. And it means this. It means rever reverent fear of power and holiness of God. If you have a phobia, that is said to have a power over you. But God didn't create that spirit of fear. It's a holy fear. He gives us a spirit of love and discipline and sound mind. And we have to have this sense of awe for God. It's a reverent fear of His power and of His holiness. Because God is the only one who is awesome. You know, I think there are times that God allows us to get glimpses of awesome. Let me give you a thought. Have you, how many of you ever seen something in nature that was just like, took your breath away? Just like, wow. You know, I, I went to the, I've been to the Grand Canyon and I, I stepped out and, and I'm looking down and it's just like, wow. This is awesome. This is great. We get a glimpse of that. I, was, I had the privilege of being in the delivery room when both my children were born. And to see new life, that's, that God is the author of life, and to see that happen, I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, wow, that is completely and totally awesome. God gives us glimpses of those moments, but they're just the handiwork of a truly awesome power and holiness of God. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this awesome power of God? If, if you look at um, the book of Psalm 95, there's a, a verse of Scripture. It's in Psalm 95, verse 6, and it, it says this. It says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our 
maker. There's a position that should be common for a follower of Jesus Christ. And that position is this. To bow down. To be on our knees before God. It's not just an act that we do to pray. It's not just something that is, is done so that you can... It's an act of humbling yourself, of recognizing how big God is and how small you are. To lower myself and elevate Him in me. There are sometimes that that feeling hits me of just needing to bow down before God. Sometimes in a worship service, the Holy Spirit will just hit me like a ton of bricks. And man, I just, it just happens. And I just down. Sometimes it hits me when, like when my children were born. That's an amazing thing. It hits me when I watch my family serve the Lord and I, I see them walking in obedience to God's plan for their life. I'm telling you what, there's something about that moment that lets me understand the power and the presence of God in my family and it makes me fall to my knees. Time it hits me when I see what God's doing in my church and in our church. It hits me when I see what God's doing in your life because I recognize the all-encompassing power of a holy, powerful God. And that feeling of awe comes over me. And I have nothing left to do but to bow on my knee. You think of the scripture, you know, the wise men, the Christmas story, when the wise men came to Jesus, what would they do? They bowed down before him. You know, I think of Peter, when, when Jesus was calling Peter, Peter came before the Lord and he dropped to his knees and he says, get away from me, Lord, I'm not worthy. He bowed down before Christ. The Bible says this, that everyone will bow, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Whether you are a believer or not, that is going to happen. Whether you believe in Christ or not, everybody is going to bow down at the majesty and the awe and the power and the holiness of a God that loves them. I just don't want that to be the first time that I've ever done that on that day. When was the last time you were shaken by his presence and it caused you to bow? Second thing is this that I notice in true worshipers is they worship with abandon. They worship with abandon. Like, well, what does that mean? I have a song on my playlist. It's uh, written by the Newsboys. Any Newsboys fans? All right. Woo. Three of us. They have a song. It's just entitled Live With Abandon. I'm not going to sing it for you. And probably everybody said amen. But it just says this. I want to live with abandon, giving all that I am. Every part of my heart, Jesus, I place in your hands. I want to live with abandon. Living with abandon means that we're going to have a little fun up in here. Living with abandon means that we're going to get into it a little bit. Oh, other people might look at you and think, man, oh my goodness, they're a little weird. 
because they're singing, because they're shouting, because they're dancing, because they're clapping before the Lord. But can I just tell you, you're not doing it for them. 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a story there about the Ark of the Covenant. David the king is bringing back the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. And this Ark was a big deal in the Old Testament. There were three things that were in the Ark. There was manna from the wilderness. There was the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. And there was the rod of Aaron, the staff of Aaron that were in this Ark. And what this was, it was the central point of the presence of God for the Old Testament was this Ark of the Covenant. They would take the Ark of the Covenant when they were walking in obedience to God. They would take this Ark into battle and God would wipe out the enemy. This was the powerful presence of God. There were so many rules that, uh, on how to, uh, to, to handle this Ark. Nobody could ever touch the Ark or they would die immediately. You had to handle it with poles and, and do it the right way. And, and that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But the thought process is David, his life's desire was to bring this Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And so they're in the process of doing it. And David is having an abandoned moment. He is going after God. He is... Uh, dancing and worshiping. The Bible says in, in verse 14 that he danced before the Lord with all of his might and all of the people around him were shouting and they were playing on their horns. It, it was quite the setting. See this. It is not just David by himself and everybody kind of looking at him and saying, oh yeah, look at David. It was a whole chorus of people. It was a parade. It was a function. The presence of God was now coming back to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was coming back to where he had intended it to be in the center of his people. And David was having a moment of rejoice, of reckless abandon in worship. And then his wife, who by the way is not a participant, let me just say this. Can I interject this? Worship is not a spectator sport. Well, that was your chance. You missed it. Try it again. Worship is not a spectator sport. Worship was made to be participated in. And here you have David who's participating in worship and his wife, Michael, who's watching from afar. And as she's watching, she's critical because you see, when you're a spectator, that's the first thing you are. You're critical of participants. Oh, come on now. When you're a, when you're a spectator, you're critical of participants. And she's critical of, uh, of David, and she basically says, and, and, man, I can't believe that you would act this way in front of all these people. You have lost your dignity. You have lost your mind. You are crazy. Look at you. Are, this is nuts. And David says, basically sum up, David says, hey man, this isn't disorderly. This isn't worldly. This is done out of a heart of joyous and worship, and I'm going to do this before the Lord, and I'm going to do it not for you or anybody else. I'm doing it for God. You know, I, I think sometimes we have created over the years a miscommunication for people when they walk into church. I'm going to explain that, okay? 
When you walk into the church, you come in and, and man, the, the, we're, there's a stage up here and, and all the lights are bright on it and, and we've got the, the band up here playing and we're all facing you. And we've communicated this idea that, that this, all of this happens for you. And we've become a, a church, um, uh, as, a, as a broad scope of, of church, we've become a buyer-friendly church. And what I mean by that is we are consumer-based in the fact that, oh, if I go there and they sing the songs I like, if the pastor preaches the message I like, if things go the well that I want them to be, I might go back. If somebody actually shakes my hand, I might go back. And the thought process is this. We do all of this, but we don't do it for you. You're not the audience. There is an audience, but you're not it. Let me kind of pop that bubble a little bit harder. Nor will you ever be it. Every person that is in this room who follows Jesus is a part of a holy choir with an audience of one. So when we come into this place, it shouldn't be things like this. Well, I don't like that song. Well, I don't like the way that Pastor Dustin wears his socks. Well, I don't like the way that, uh, that, that, uh, that this is happening. I don't like that kind of stuff. I didn't want to hear that. Well, can I tell you, it's not for you. It's for the King. And we're here today to collectively lift up His name. Now we're not talking about something that's disruptive because when something becomes disruptive, that becomes about you. We're not trying to draw attention to someone. We're trying to give attention to the King of Kings. David was in a worship parade. He was in a processional. He wasn't the only one worshiping and shouting and dancing and blowing the horns. It was a together, a whole Israel coming together to celebrate the presence of God. Michael picked him out because of their connection, because of his position. But worship isn't about drawing attention to yourself. It's about giving God the praise that's due Him from your heart. And allowing yourself to be passionate about that. Maybe you're struggling with this thought process. And you say, man, I want to lift my hands. I want to bow down. I want to dance. I want to shout. (laughs) That, That thought of hitting me, of dancing, only hits me very, very slow. Not that I don't dance before the Lord, but I do it privately because you wouldn't want to see it here. (laughs) But we think to ourselves, man, I want to do those things, but then all of a sudden we get this mentality of what would Michael think? What would the spectators think? What would the people sitting around me think? What would my spouse think? Can I tell you this? They're not your audience. God is. So if God's my audience, who cares about what people think? Amen. So let's loosen up a little bit. Let's be participants. Let's get excited about the Jesus who died for your sin. 
Let's get excited about the God that loves you so intensely that He would send His only Son so that you could have life. That's more important than any touchdown, any concert, anything that you could ever do or imagine that comes from this world because it gives you everlasting eternal life. So let's get excited about that. Finally, true worshipers, they worship with intimacy. They worship with intimacy. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek after for me to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to see the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In this passage of scripture, David reveals his heart. It isn't about him. It's about drawing attention to Jesus. It's not about a distraction. It's about intimacy. Notice what he says. One thing I ask. David is the king. He could have asked, God, I, I ask for freedom from my enemies, but he didn't do that. He could have said, Lord, I want riches and I want fame and popularity. I want all of the stuff this world has to offer, but he didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Because there was one thing that was in his heart and in his mind, and that one thing was this, I want intimacy with God, one thing I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to see the beauty of the Lord and to inquire into his temple. I ask God, I ask you for intimacy. My one desire as your pastor is that you'll have that one desire. My prayer is that you'll have that one desire. My wife and I, we've been married for 25 years now. We've been together for 27. I couldn't believe her dad let me marry her out of, high, out of junior high school. I just... <laughs> These last 25 years have been so happy and blissful. And we have never had any argument or disagreement at all. <laughs> she's not here this morning she's not feeling well but I know she'll listen later but can I tell you there are some things that I absolutely love about this woman I love her compassion for people I love her laugh and I love her smile I love her mothering skills <laughs> Not just with our kids, but sometimes with me. I love her sense of adventure. I love how she gets up with God every morning in her chair and takes her Bible and her devotion and takes her prayer book. She made a prayer book that has all of our family in it with their pictures and names and prayer requests and stuff. And she takes that with her coffee and she spends time with the Lord every morning. I love that about her. I love that she loves Jesus. I love that she worships God. I could go on and on, and, and the thing is, is I know these things about her because I know her intimately. I know her heart. <laughs> I know her pet peeves. I know what she's passionate about. Can I tell you, this same thought process is what God wants for you, that you would know him in that way. 
to spend time in his presence by praying, reading your word, and yes, worship, to become intimately acquainted with him, to know his heart, to know what he's passionate about, and yes, to know his pet peeves, to know the things that he has put in his book on how to live your life. It's an intimate relationship with Christ. To not just know about him. We've got so many people in the church today that just know about him. They've heard all kinds of stories. When I was a kid growing up, I didn't have a relationship with God, but I knew all about the stories. I used to win candy and prizes and all kinds of stuff in children's church and and youth group and went to church all the time, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I knew about God, but I didn't know him. And our churches today are full of people who know about God, but they don't know Him. Because you see, Christianity is not a religion. It is all about a relationship. And so we need to have folks who fall in love with Jesus and want to be so in an intimacy part with the Lord that their lives reflect that in who they are and what they worship. Paul said it this way, I want to know Christ. He said, I think everything else is rubbish. One version of your scripture, if it's King James, will say dung. You know what that is, right? I don't need to spell that out. I consider everything else is rubbish. Everything else is dung. All the things that the world has to offer, fame, fortune, all the stuff that it can pile at my door, it's all worth nothing in the, in the comparison of the supremacy of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing Him intimately. You may say, man, I wish I had that, but I just don't feel that way. When I do feel that way, man, I'll, I'll act on this. I, I, I want to uh, kind of give you a little thought on that, okay? Feelings always, always follow obedience. Feelings always follow obedience. They never precede it. As you're talking about your walk with God, I remember, maybe I'm going to take you down a little memory lane with me and maybe it'll relate to you. We're good. If we weren't, I wasn't going to tell you anyway, we're good. When I, I remember when I first gave my heart to the Lord and I, again, I knew all about Jesus. I knew about church, but this relationship thing with God was completely new. And so I, I remember growing up, and it was a couple of years, and I got to the place where I'm like, oh, I really want to lift my hands, but I'm really concerned if my parents are watching. Because when I get home, they're going to talk to me and be like, oh, <laughs> what were you doing? And I was so concerned about that. And I didn't want that to happen. So I'm like, Keep you know, like you know if you ever watched the Tim Hawkins video, he's got the hand raised worship. There's things that you know, like carry the TV, that version of worship. And so I was down here, you know, and then all of a sudden, I thought, you know what? Somebody preached the message about what it means to surrender your heart to the Lord. 
and what it means to truly give everything to God. That my life needs to be a sacrifice that was laid down before Christ. And, and so what does that mean for me? Well, that means that I can't worry about what other people think because I worship to an audience of one. And so out of that thought process of obedience, all of a sudden it hit me, man, I need to raise my hands. I need to to shout. I need to give God praise and God glory. Why? Because the feeling came after the obedience factor hit me. And the longer that you understand, and the longer you sit back, I'm sorry, and, and you just sit on your hands, or you sit there like a ward on a pickle during worship, What's going to end up happening is this. You're waiting for this wonderful feeling to come over you. And what you need to do instead is step out in faith and be obedient to the Word of God when it says, Come kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Bow down before Him. Worship the Lord with all of your heart. Give God everything. Come and raise your hands to the Lord. Give Him your life. Give Him all. Sing to the Lord a new song. Make joyful noise to God of our salvation. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His course with praise. Instead of waiting for the feeling to hit you, you need to step out in obedience and just do it. Amen. Because he's worthy of your worship whether you feel it or not. He says, one thing I ask, that I can encounter your power of your presence. I promise if that is your desire, God You'll have a hunger for what you're doing. You'll have a thirsty for the thirst for the presence of God because you're walking in obedience to Him. So where's your heart today? There are three evidence of true worship. They worship with awe. They worship with abandon. And they worship with intimacy. This is the kind of worshiper that God seeks So where are you? Would you bow your heads this, today? Father, this morning, I recognize how great you are. And I recognize how awesome you are, oh God. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts today? As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you're just having a moment with God right now, the Holy Spirit's working on you. And you be honest with God and say, you know what, I need to either start a new commitment or I need to renew my commitment and my passion for God. I have come to the place where I am worshiping other things. I'm showing value to things that aren't important. I need to come and bow down before the Lord, my maker. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, that's me. The Holy Spirit's pulling you. That uncomfortable feeling you're feeling in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit just pulling you to respond. And today, I, I, I challenge you, if that's you, would you respond to God this morning? I want to renew that passion in my heart. I want to renew that commitment to God again. If that's you, would you just slip up your hands? We want to pray with you here this morning. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes. 
Hallelujah. Renew that passion for God in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Right now, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do something just a little bit different as we close. I'm going to pray. For those that raise their hand here in a moment, we're going to pray together. We're going to lead in a prayer for that. But I want us to close the way we started with some worship to the King. And I challenge you today with this thought to take a step out of your comfort zone. Regardless of if you feel it or not. Maybe for you, you're, you're uncomfortable with that idea of, of raising a hand in worship. Can I tell you to do it? Maybe you're here today and, and you're concerned about what others are thinking. You're concerned about the things that are, are everybody else is going around you. Can I tell you, you're not here for them. This moment is not for them. This moment's for Jesus. Maybe you've never bowed down before God. Do that. Maybe you're someone who's never really closed your eyes and sang the worship song to God in a personal, intimate way before. Do that today. Whatever it is, I challenge you to get after God this morning. Step out of your comfort zone. Don't wait for a feeling. Step out of an obedience. And it's been my experience throughout my life that whenever I stepped out into obedience, God met me there and the feelings followed. So this morning, we're going to talk about what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. As Pastor Dustin and the worship team lead us in that, I challenge you today to tune everybody else. This is a holy choir moment. You have all been selected to be a part of this holy choir. I don't care if you can sing or not. That wasn't the the ramifications or the qualifications. We are all part of this holy choir today. And we're going to lift up praise and worship to the King. So as He leads us, would you do that? Would you do that this, this morning? Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Pastor Dustin, would you lead us? Hallelujah.